Hello, listeners. You know, keeping the house in a divorce or deciding to let it go is a really big decision that should not be rushed or put on the back burner. This is a place where timing truly is key, and so is your divorce mortgage planning. Tammy Wallensack is a certified divorce lending professional who specializes in presenting the marital home options for those who are contemplating or going through a divorce. One thing to know is that it's important to discuss the home before you take any official steps in your divorce process because often your home is your largest asset and planning properly can help avoid issues down the road for both spouses. Tammy helps you separate business decisions from emotional decisions and helps determine if keeping the house is possible or even in the best interest of either spouse. So if you or someone you know could benefit from a complimentary divorce mortgage planning consult, contact Tammy today. Find her at takeorleavethehouse.com. That's takeorleavethehouse.com. And make sure to let her know you heard about her on Divorce and Beyond. Coming up on today's episode of the Divorce and Beyond podcast. The community that I found throughout this healed me in such a huge way and reminded me that none of us are alone. And, you know, that's why you have a podcast like this, to connect with each other, to share our stories, to learn from each other, and to realize that we're all connected and we're all one. Hello, and welcome to the Divorce and Beyond podcast. I'm Susan Guthrie, your host. As a top divorce attorney and family law mediator for 30 years, I know what you need to know to get through your divorce, and most importantly, how to move beyond it to thrive and transition to your new future. My experts and I are here to give you the insider view into the process, so listen in for the wisdom and expert information you need on your journey through divorce and beyond. Hello, listeners. Today, I have a really special episode for you. I am chatting with best-selling author Natasha Sislow. She is the author of All Signs Point to Paris. I have to tell you, I loved the book. Her journey will make you cry, make you laugh, and inspire you. A little bit about Natasha. She is a new author and jumped right to the top of the bestseller charts with this first memoir, but she is also a very well-known realtor with the Superstar Agency in California. In fact, it's called the agency. You have uh, seen it on Netflix. In fact, they have a brand new show called Buying Beverly Hills. Uh, That is just launching and Natasha is one of the brokers in that agency. She's also a former journalist and you have seen her a lot in the news lately because of the launch of the book. In fact, her ex-husbands, follow this if you can, her ex-husband's new wife, Anna Ferris, yes, that Anna Ferris, uh, recently hosted an event with Natasha for the launch of the book. We're going to talk about that as well as some of the major themes in the book, things like friendship, family, manifestation, going for it, and finding your soulmate all in this episode. Well, Natasha, 
I'm just gonna jump in. There's so much that I wanna talk to you about, about the book, All Signs Point to Paris. Um, first, let me just say thank you for taking the time to join me. I know you have an incredibly busy life, um, especially with everything that's been going around about a book launch, um, your your day job, as we, as we say, and everything else in your life. So first, let me just say thank you for joining me. Oh, thank you for having me. I am so honored to be here. Truly, it's such a pleasure and joy. Well, as I was telling my listeners in the intro that they just heard, I love, 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 loved the book. Um, I'm I'm a huge fan. Um, I'm a, a inveterate reader. I love to read. And I just truly, it was a book that I, I read it all in one sitting. Um, and then went back and went through it again because I truly enjoyed it. And I'll tell you, I read it on an airplane and made an utter fool of myself laughing out loud, which is not acceptable on airplanes, and crying. Um, <laughs> And the man next to me actually offered me a tissue at one point. So it worked. You got me. It was fabulous. Um, And I don't want to give away too much of the story because there's just a a wonderful overarching tale in your story and in what happened here. It, It is the quintessential divorce and beyond. But there are also some themes. You know, I do a lot of episodes on finding love after divorce and moving on and and that sort of thing. But I thought there was so much value in some of the other themes that I saw in the book that I just wanted to get some of your thoughts on things that I saw. And was I, you know, honing in on the messages? But first, I want to say to my my listeners, because you did go through a divorce, you're 10 years out. And I know everyone thinks their divorce is just the worst, right? And they are, we all have had them. I've been divorced myself. But I just wanted the listeners to hear your description of your divorce. It's from page seven. It's right at the beginning of the book, everyone. And I'm literally just going to read right from the book. I met Philippe on the heels of my disastrous divorce. I imagine most divorces are disastrous, but mine was the kind where your husband moves out, you lose your house, your dog dies, your business falls apart, your money disappears, you're forced to file for bankruptcy, and you find yourself shell-shocked, unpacking boxes in a shoebox apartment, all within a matter of months, all while trying to raise two children in Los Angeles. (laughs) I was like, yeah, okay, you kind of win. That sums it up. <laughs> that must have been quite a time in life. I think shell shocked probably describes it well. Yeah, it was rough. And I know that all divorces are rough. I, you know, so I think that, and I don't know, maybe there are many different versions that are so much worse. I have my health, I have my kids, um, but there were a lot of big changes very, very fast. And I was just struggling. I wish I would have had someone like you to listen to um, podcast or something to guide me. But at that moment in time, I didn't have much. And I kind of fell into the arms of a man that I met post-divorce thinking I would, you know, I was taking a big risk, maybe meet him one night. I was trying to, you know, break out of this like really low point in life. And I ended up, you know, dating him for, you know, five years almost. So that happened. (laughs) Yeah, well, and when you read the book, listeners, you'll understand why it happened. He sounds quite delicious, I must say. (laughs) And, you know, for someone who's a a Francophile myself, um, you know, just that um, so much of, of the 
romance of falling in love with a Frenchman, a Frenchman, even though he lived in Venice uh, Beach, California. I enjoyed it vicariously reading about it in the book. But that's not the romance of the book. Um, there's there's a lot of romances in the book. And, and one of the themes, I think this sort of flows into what I really pulled from what you you shared. And, and I do want to say you, you shared deeply. Um, as I said, I cried, I laughed. There's, there's a great deal in here. My father um, passed away 10 years ago now. And as I read your father's journey um, in the book and your journey with him as, as he passed and, but also stayed with you in so many ways it, that, that was a laughing and crying moment for me. I feel that very much that same way that people who love us and have guided us in our lives, while ma- maybe not physically present are always with us. And, and there were, in fact, many instances of that in the book where your dad was with you. I'm thinking of the photograph. Yes, 100%. I mean, he, before this all started, I was a big cynic. I didn't believe in, you know, I wasn't spiritual. I didn't, I wasn't a big believer in anything. I didn't believe in astrology or spirituality, or I think I'd given up on a lot of, like, even my own dreams and where my future was going. I was just at an all-time low after breaking up with that little post, you know, marriage romance that I thought was my second chance at true love and learning that my father had a terminal illness, I lost all belief. And then he said to me on his deathbed, literally, that he would uh, meet me in Paris when I told him this wild idea that I had, which you can tell your readers about it, but (laughs) or, or your listeners, when he made that promise to me, it opened up kind of this, this part of my heart that could believe again. And I, after he died, I chose to believe that his spirit would meet me in Paris. And as soon as I opened myself up to believing again, and, and um, thinking about my life in a different way, I felt it. I felt him. I felt, you know, the different people in my life differently. Um, Everything changed for me. Yeah. In fact, there's an incredible moment in the book where your dad, in in a certain way, physically met you in Paris, and I won't give away what happened, um, but it was one of those like, sort of gasp moments, like, yeah. oh my god, you know, I can't believe that happened. But your dad was there with you on on your journey, the journey, you know, and that was one of the signs I think perhaps that was pointing to Paris for you that your dad would meet you there. Yes. Yes, absolutely. A hundred percent. And he did. And I think he's still here with us, with me. Yeah. (laughs) Well, and you, and you mentioned, yeah, you mentioned, um, the, you know, the psychic reading, and that's very much at a, a core of this, of your book and of your journey. And it's interesting because, you know, 30 plus years as a divorce professional and having been through it myself, I went to a psychic when I was getting divorced from my first husband. I think there's something in us and, and maybe this, sounds familiar that, you know, because suddenly our future and maybe, you know, this was after your breakup um, Mm -hmm. from Philippe, the romance after your marriage. But I think it's, you know, that change of relationship. When we think we have our future settled as with a marriage or a relationship, and then suddenly that future goes away because that relationship didn't turn out to be the for a forever relationship or situation. I think we just want to know what's coming. We want to know. And so we're looking for that, 
that pipeline to the future through a psychic or something. And you said you were a cynic beforehand. I'd love to know now, knowing what happened in the book, but what do you think about, you know, psychics and astrology and and being able to sort of have that peek into the future now? I mean, listen, I'm still a cynic at heart. I was raised by a man who went to MIT and believed in facts and science and logic. Um, So I have that kind of hardwired in me. And yet I believe because I didn't believe until my best friend decided to gift me an astrology reading, knowing for my birthday, knowing that I needed a little bit of a change in my life. And that's why I said yes, because my whole life I had said no to everything like this. I went from being a non-believer to a full-on believer within 45 minutes. And I don't know if it's specific to the astrologer that I spoke to. Maybe it's all one big coincidence, but it changed my life and set me on this journey to track down my soulmate in Paris, but also to reclaim my inner dream as a writer and to open my heart up to the love that I already have in my life and to spirituality, as we mentioned, it changed my life on every level. Do I believe now? Yes. But I believe specific to my relationship with Stephanie. And I I don't, I'm not calling up like psychic hotline every five minutes. Like it's not. (laughs) Or the ones on Instagram that are like, you know, hey, Papa Ouija. (laughs) I'm not doing that. But I do um, realize that I was really cynical and judgmental and thought all this LA woo-woo. I mean, I live in Los Angeles and it's all around me. I thought, oh my gosh, all the crystals, all the sound baths, all the, you know, it's too much. And then my best friend who is, you know, she's in India right now with her guru. I mean, she is like the epitome of that. She opened my eyes to all of the wonderful healing practices that are self-care, that are wellness, that some of them can be out there and they might not be for me, but learning how to meditate, learning how that Reiki can be, you know, hugely healing, that sound baths, actually the power of sound vibrations, it'll, it'll change your day, if not, you know, your whole mindset. So I do believe in astrology and I do believe that we are all psychic and, um, you know, some people call it being intuitive or an empath or, you know, so I, I'm a big believer, um, but I, you know, I still have that cynical kind of like, no, I don't think that could work. Okay, let's try it. <laughs> you know, well, but maybe that's the lesson for my listeners, right? You don't, you know, you don't have to wholesale buy in, but maybe yeah. you need to crack open the door to possibilities that yeah. that it it might be. And, and look, well, uh, you know, again, I, I want people to read the book to find out what happens. I don't want to, to give your journey away entirely, but, you know, you mentioned you went on this journey to Paris as a result of the, the reading, you know, the, it was a journey to find your soulmate and we'll talk about that. But I think along the way you found so many other things, you know, you said, I, I think just a moment ago that you already had in your life, but that you hadn't been either feeling or tuning into or yeah. recognizing. And so I wanted to just talk about some of those things, because especially when a relationship has ended, especially divorce, I think for people, they become very focused on the loss of that love or that relationship. And we do tend to forget that many, many, many of us are so blessed to have many, many other kinds 
of love in our lives. And you truly have some wonderful people. You know, we've mentioned your dad, um, but I'm, I'm wondering, you know, friendship, that was such a key component in, in your journey, your, the friends that you have. You've mentioned your best friend. Tell me a little bit of, about awakening to the love of friendship and the support of friends and women, because that was another aspect of the book. You know, I think before this journey, I was very closed off and very independent and didn't really call out, didn't ever ask for help. Because I thought that was a sign of weakness, which is crazy now that I look at it. But when you really feel like you need help and you have to ask it, sometimes that feels like may at that time, I just felt weak and vulnerable by doing that. So I would never ask people for help. But when I finally realized that not only did I, you know, was I able to ask for it, that it was like coming at me from not just you know, the people in my life, the women, the incredible friends that I had already, my family, but also from strangers across the world, because I started documenting this journey to go find every person that I could meet in Paris, born on November 2nd, 1968, per my astrologer. And I created an Instagram account because I wanted to do targeted advertising because it was really hard to track down people with this birthday in place. I thought privacy laws, you know, or we didn't have any privacy and I could just Google it. No. So I did everything under the sun from going on the radio to, you know, using targeted advertising on Instagram, Facebook groups. I made posters, I made t-shirts and business cards and everything. So I met a bunch of people on this journey. It was incredible to see the show of support. I think what I was doing was so out of the box or out of the ordinary or also just out of love. Um, I wasn't trying to do it for any other reason than to, you know, chase down a kind of love story. And even like the men that I met on Tinder were like, faith is faith. Keep going. No, my birthday is wrong. Like cuckoo, Natasha. Like, can you like, did it, like all the funny, it was so weird and wacky, but they were like, oh, okay, well, I don't understand it. You know, maybe a few days off, Matt doesn't matter. I'm like, no, 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 it matters. And they yeah. would like, no, according to Stephanie, no. you're out. No. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Apparently the chart changes every four minutes. I did not realize that. But the show of support. And then when I was in Paris, I posted in a Facebook group for women, the women of Paris, and I invited them to come and join me um, for an evening. And I mean, the door opened and strangers from age 19 to, you know, probably, you know, 60s or were coming in and just wanting to support this beautiful journey that they wanted to be a part of and to learn about and to connect. And many, you know, some of the women were divorced and they wanted to find out like, maybe I should try this again. You know, maybe I should look for love again. And some were so young and just coming for fun. And the community that I found throughout this healed me in such a huge way and reminded me that none of us are alone. And, you know, that's why you have a podcast like this, to connect with each other, to share our stories, to learn from each other, and to realize that we're all connected and we're all one. And, you know, all we have to do is say out loud, extend a hand or ask for help to learn that I could speak out loud and ask for what I wanted in my life as out there as it sounded, really changed my whole world and made me learn that I have a voice, I have agency, I have dreams, and the universe answered me back. And it was really incredible. Mm -hmm. 
So you want to be a divorce coach, but the term divorce coach is a broad one because there is just so much you can cover in the world of moving on. Maybe you find yourself gravitating towards clients with high conflict co-parents, or perhaps you have a knack for helping women pull themselves out of bed when they feel overwhelmed with single mom responsibilities. No matter your ideal client, the one thread that will unite them all is that they're moms and moms need a different level of support when it comes to divorce coaching. With my moving on method, you'll not only learn how to best support a client through their divorce, you'll also learn how to help support them as they transition into their new role as co-parents and managing a coaching business. I'm Michelle Dempsey-Moltak, Certified Divorce and Co-Parenting Specialist, and I founded the Moving On Method after years of working with clients from all over the world and seeing them all struggle with the same issues. In this training, you'll learn my five principles for helping a client with their moving on process, along with how to make your practice successful. Visit momsmovingon.com today to apply for my program. Stay tuned for more from my chat with best-selling author Natasha Sislow as we discuss her journey to Paris searching for her soulmate and how that helped her to find the true love in her life and oh so much more. It's so easy to forget all the love that we have in our lives and not all of it is obvious and not all of it is loud. It's quiet. It's in the corners and the tiny little spaces and some of it is a person on the street who smiles at you or lets you get in the lane when you know you can't change lanes and they're just there out of the kindness of their heart making a moment easier for you. And so I read all these wishes and there were so many of them and I realized I have all of them. If you are enjoying this episode, be sure to check out last week's show with leading divorce attorney Eric Broder, who answers your top questions about child support and gives you his best tips for avoiding having to go back to court fighting over it. You lose your job. Don't wait. Child support is only modifiable in most states, and particularly Connecticut. It's only retroactive to the day that you serve a modification of child support document. So if you lose your job January 1st and you wait till April 1st, you're not going to get credit for those three months. And now we return to today's show. I love that you said the universe answered you back. One of my favorite phrases is the universe provides. But we have to ask. You know, Sometimes we have to, uh, I'll use the phrase manifest, and this is another aspect of a theme in, a bo- in the book that I wanted to ask you about because there was another aspect of your journey where over a period of time, you thought about the love and the relationship that you wanted in your life. And I'll go back to, we're talking about the romantic relationship here. Um, One of your friends had gifted you with a wish, I think it was a wish jar. Flying wishers, yes. Yes, yes. I have to, for any of my Californian listeners out there, the, the wish was supposed to be written on paper and then set on fire, but you can't do that in California where fires, unfortunately, are such an issue. So you were keeping them in a jar. And, you know, just talk a little bit because I thought there was, I was reading each slip as you, you put it out there. And then when you finally went through them and brought them out, and there was so much power, I think, in thinking about what you what would work in for you in your life and what a relationship should look like as opposed to I want to be married or I want to be in a relationship this person is who I'm with this must be who it's supposed to be which is what so many people do 
Yeah. Well, I mean, I, and it changed for me so much from the beginning of this journey until I came home really a year later and read these wishes out loud because for a year, my, you know, my best friends gifted me this kit and I was writing wishes and some were absurd, you know, like I want somebody who will find somebody who likes eating pizza in bed, or (laughs) I want a Jenga partner for life, or, I mean, some were just silly And then some were more heartfelt. Like I want somebody who can love my children and who will support my dreams in the future. And so there was like this mix of wishes that I probably wrote while I was angry, while I was sad, while I was happy and joyful and all the things throughout a year. And I mean, I had ran out of wish wish kit papers. And so I was scratching them off on post-it notes and I had never done that before. So I was manifesting, right? Is that really kind of what that is? You're putting something into the real world or you're speaking out loud, you know, instead of just thinking, you're actually writing it down and making it concrete. I came home from Paris and I had them, all these wishes stuffed in this blue mason jar. And I thought, well, wait a minute, I have to light them on fire. It's not going to come true. And throughout this whole journey, all these people had shown up for me in different ways. And I'd met, you know, men in Paris and I had met women in Paris and I had met people here in my real life in Los Angeles had shown up and my mother's part of this journey and my sister's and my best friend. So I'm coming back on New Year's Day and I stop at the beach in Malibu and I thought, okay. And I had the wish jar in my car because we had just been evacuated because of the fire. Oh, that's the great way to start the new year. I'm going to read these wishes. I'm going to light them on fire at the beach because it's pretty safe, a lot of water. And I started reading them out loud. I pulled over. I was sitting on some rocks by the beach. And at first it was funny. You know, I was like, well, that's a funny one. Like I must've been a little drunk when I read that one. (laughs) And as I read them all, I realized, oh, I have that. I have somebody who is supporting my visions of, you know, where I want to go professionally. I have someone in my life who will dance with me when there's no music. That was my sister. I have someone who will, you know, never give up on people. That was my mother. And I, I'm giving myself the chills right now because it's a good reminder. I should reread right that my back. every day. Yeah, because it's so easy to forget all the love that we have in our lives. And not all of it is obvious and not all of it is loud. It's quiet. It's in the corners and the tiny little spaces. And some of it is a person on the street who smiles at you or lets you get in the lane when, you know, you can't change lanes and they're just there out of the kindness of their heart, making a moment easier for you. And so I read all these wishes and there were so many of them. And I realized I have all of that. You know, I have all of that. And, and the last wish, which the one that I didn't have an answer for was, well, I'm a big Lionel Richie fan. So (laughs) I'm a huge Lionel Richie fan, and I just really didn't understand that he had never been inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. He has since then, by the way, which I also think is a sign. But, you know, I was wishing for somebody who would really support the, agreed with me that Lionel Richie should, you know, it was such an absurd wish. I don't know why I wrote it or when I wrote it, but it was in the jar. And of course, there was nobody in my life that I could think was as passionate about this, like, Lionel Richie thing. And I thought, oh, that's me. That's me. That was the wish I made for me. And... And I don't need somebody else to, there's so much love that I have within that I didn't know about before. And I, I was pretty down on myself. I mean, you file bankruptcy, your marriage falls apart. You know, you're struggling with two kids. You're trying to fake it till you make it at the agency, working with all of these like reality TV show realtors, like 
just trying to make the rent and, you know, look good enough to sell a crazy expensive house while coming back to your tiny apartment, it's hard. It was really, really, really hard. It's still hard. And so I was just so down on myself. I felt like I had failed in every corner of my life. And this year of my life reminded me of all that I had, that my jar was literally full. I mean, it was so full, I couldn't shove one more wish into it. And so that was really the gift that um, the biggest gift um, that I had in this was just being able to recognize what I had and that I don't need to find that in another person. I will welcome in somebody else that has, you know, all of these great qualities, but they don't have to fill every single thing on the list because that's unfair and that's not possible too. You know, it's got to come from within and, you know, and through our rich garden of, you know, those were all seeds that I planted. I feel like all of those wishes. And I think at a certain point in my life, I, I kind of could wake up and realize that I had this big, beautiful blooming garden, but I had to write them out to plant those seeds. There's such poignancy in what you're saying there. It, it makes me think of the Wizard of Oz, which is, I'm not, but it's the whole Dorothy, you always had the power, you know, the, the golden or the ruby slippers and all, um, you know, you, you're surrounded by yeah. love. But I think you've hit on something that really jumped out for me in reading was also the love for yourself and yeah. the self-love and the self-care, you know, which is so hard for people when they are going through what you just mentioned, right? The end of that relationship, the failure. Failure is one of those trigger words for divorce, you know, but people treat it, the world at large treats it as a, as a failure, um, as a stigma and something. And so people have find a very hard time in loving themselves. And really, you know, your journey to Paris yeah. brought you in many ways to yourself as well. And to that recognition of the power of you, that was an incredibly, you know, just that self-love that you can, you can find by putting yourself out there. And this is one of the great things about my astrologer. She told me you're supposed to be having fun right now. And I was not in a place where I felt like I had permission to have fun. You know, I, I was grieving. I had a, was grieving a breakup and I was grieving my marriage, which I had never really grieved because I jumped so quickly into another relationship. And I was grieving the death of my father. Like I was grieving so much. And somebody said, you can have fun. And I was like, huh? Well, that doesn't really, I don't think I'm allowed to. I'm supposed to be working for two kids and taking, like I was, you know, I didn't really have any space for myself. But finally, when I was like, wait a minute, I'm allowed to have joy too. I can take a week off for my children and go to Paris. I can, you know, have these big, bold dreams. I can go on the radio and say, you know what? I'm looking for every man who was born on November 2nd in Paris. And, and I don't care what anybody else thinks. I'm allowed to do something totally out there. This is my life as long as I'm safe and healthy and taking care of my family, you know, which I was a responsible mom. Asterisk right there, everybody. Yeah, yeah. I wasn't so off the rails, but sometimes you have to get off the rails to find a new destination. And that's what I had to do. Yeah. You had to, well, you had to get on a plane and yeah, <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Through San Francisco on our way to Paris. But, um, and sometimes you have to change your reservation a couple of times. Um, but it all worked out. And, you know, in the end, I won't, in any way give away the end because you went to to Paris to find your soulmate but I two questions before I move on uh, there are a couple more things I wanted to ask you but first you know I've read I read through the book when when does the sequel come out 
<laughs> I need to know what happens next. Is oh, it coming? Okay. That's um, yes. I'm, I'm well. I don't know if I'm writing a sequel specific to this. I'm living a sequel specific <laughs> to this, but I am writing another book. Yeah. Well, I may have to stalk you on in, on Instagram then to find out what happens next. But I also wondered, you know, because I it, it just strikes me this would make a fabulous book or, or movie. I mean, or television series is this something we can look forward to because I and if if it's not if you're listening this would make a wonderful movie or television series oh thank you for saying that and there's nothing there's exciting things on the horizon but nothing that I can speak to so even better that means there's things (laughs) out there I love that so there were two a couple other things that I wanted to talk about they're in the book but they're not part of necessarily the journey to Paris but uh, well, one is, let me first talk about, I, I am a huge fan also of Emily in Paris. And I, so it was absolutely just like knock me in the forehead because right in the middle of the book, the filming of Emily in Paris, I mean, you're actually even in, in one of the scenes of Emily in Paris, you know, I, and I know exactly which one is you're walking up the stairs at the opera and I, I was like, this can't be happening. I was just, I loved every bit of it, but you have to tell me about meeting Lucas Bravo and Gabriel. He's what a, what a hunk of hunk of burn and love that man. Yeah, he really is. And he is just a lovely, charming, bright, like gorgeous human. And I had no idea who he was because the show wasn't out. Right. All of a sudden I'm at the opera house and Darren Starr, who was like, you know, wait, I just grew up watching all of his shows said, you know, I think you you need to be in this scene right now. It's like, okay, Darren Starr. And so that happened. And then we had dinner with Lucas and Ashley Park, who was absolutely lovely. Yes. Yes. And they, and they, by the way, serenaded us. It's not in the book, but I mean, they, they sang, the Moulin Rouge love stories song together in the window in like a beautiful Paris apartment. I was like, what is happening right now? It was magical, but Lucas is great. Yeah. He told us a lot of really beautiful, fun stories about the craziest things that we've all done for love. That was a question went around the table of this whole like Emily in Paris um, dinner that we had and we've all done crazy things for love. Yeah. Oh yeah. He walked all the way across LA. He walked from Laurel Canyon to the Pacific Palisades. If you live in LA, you know that that is really tops them all. Like yeah, nobody walks. Like, nobody walks in LA is a real thing. I love that part of it because, um, he, you know, when you were saying Lucas won that contest about the, you know, who did the craziest thing for love, and I remember I had flown to Paris to visit a boyfriend one time and was staying near the Pompidou and had to get to the other side of Paris, but didn't realize, and I walked across Paris, like oh, took wow. me like four hours to get from where I was wow. going to where my boyfriend's office was. And I missed lunch. I was supposed to be meeting him for lunch. So the story made, that's one of the parts where I was laughing out loud on the airplane. Right. <laughs> so, so, funny. Yeah. so, but, um, so I, and then I, you know, one last thing, and I wanted to bring this up, not, um, not necessarily because this is a famous person in your life, but I wanted to talk about the relationship that you have with your co-parent. Um, your former husband is married to Anna Ferris, the, the actress. Um, and the two of you, and it comes through in the book, uh, have a really lovely relationship that is so supportive of your children. Uh, that comes through in the book, as well as she was very 
supportive of you at a hard time when your when your father was passing away. And you and I spoken a little in the pre um, interview discussion. You know that didn't come immediately. Your ten years post divorce, but that that's been something that's been a having being able to have a positive relationship has been a positive part of all of your lives. Yes. Yes. And, you know, I mean, I have been divorced 10 years, so I don't know if I would have probably been able to do that when my heart was probably kind of unsettled after, you know, that's a strange way to say it, but it would have been a different experience if it was, you know, post-divorce right away. Um, But it had been about six years and um, Anna was lovely. She's been, you know, supportive of, uh, she took care of my kids when my father was ill um, she, you know, when I told her I was going to Paris to track down my soulmate, which I kept from Michael and Anna for a very long time, because I thought they would just think yeah. I had lost it. She was so excited. You know, she came to a kickoff party that I had. She was like, we're going to do this. And then when, after I launched the book, she's hosted events with me and she is a real supportive person in my life, which isn't expected. And it's funny, even the people around me in my, in my world are shocked by it. And I, and I was too, in a way, and I don't know why. And I think it's an old story that that has kind of been built into us that we're not allowed to be friends with our exes or our exes' partners. Yeah, I felt like society has kind of shown us that we're not to be friends with our exes. And if so, it's going to be a little strained. And once I opened up and realized, you know what? She is really beautiful. She is as funny as she is on TV. She is also a human being who is taking out her garbage cans and walking my kid into school and, you know, there for me as a supporter and as a creative and as a woman who has also been through her big, you know, another divorce. I watched all that happen. I watched, you know, paparazzi chase her down outside her house with my kids. And that's hard. Um, And she's a real human being and I adore her. And, you know, we have this really beautiful modern family where I think we've all chosen to make it the best that we can make it. And we're not just like all holding hands together and like, you know, it, it's it's not like all like, you know, lollipops and Kumb- kumbaya as they yeah, say. I'm sure right? I drive them crazy when I'm like, no, I'm not picking up, you know, I'm not changing yeah. the schedule. And, you know, and all the divorce stuff because raising kids, these poor kids, that's the hardest part about divorcing with children, I think, is it all the pressure it puts on your children. At least in our household, it, it did. And I just always felt like they were always going out of their way to make things better. And so I consciously made that choice to make things better. And we've luckily really created this really beautiful family together, which if you would have told me 10 years ago that I would be, you know, on stage with a celebrity talking about going to Paris to track down my soulmate based on an astrology reading, I mean, I would have thought (laughs) like you had just lost your mind. That's what's happening over here. Yeah. The good news is, well, maybe that takes us full circle back to the beginning where we were saying, sometimes maybe you just have to open up your mind to the possibility that it can be that that a a reading, you know, an astrological reading can be the first step in a wonderful journey in your life, that your divorce and your 
your former spouse's new relationship might be the open door to a wonderful new relationship in your life, not romantic, but a new friend right. or a new supportive person or a new wonderful person for your children, whatever that might be. I just, I, I love, and thank you for sharing about that, you know, because I do think that societally we are, we are just conditioned to think that, you know, former spouses, lovers, people in our lives, they are gone for us when that relationship ends and anyone who comes into their life thereafter is an enemy or a negative person. And it's wonderful for people to realize that it can be something different and not too many people will share about that. So I appreciate your, your willingness to do yeah. that. And it takes work. Listen, none, none of it's easy. And I'm sure it takes work on her side and their side too. I, you know, but we're choosing to do that. Um, and it's hard. Some days it's harder than other days. You don't want to love everybody every day. <laughs> you know, you want to just, Who does? Be human and, <laughs> yeah. um, but it's possible, you know, it's possible. It's possible. yeah. Anything is possible. It, that may be the episode, uh, the title of this episode. Anything is possible. I mean, anything is possible. That was what my father had written down on the back of this photo of, that I found of myself the day I decided to go to Paris to, you know, track all these people down on this magical adventure. And it changed my whole life. You know, I became a writer again. I opened myself up to loving myself again. I opened myself up to everybody in my life. There was some like very sexy, romantic um, moments, which you read about in the book. And it changed my whole life because anything is possible. And I think once I reclaimed the belief in magic that I had when I was a child, when I believed that anything was possible, my whole life changed. So anything is possible. And we can't wait to see what's next. Um, I will be watching, as I said, I'll just stalk you on Instagram if you're not writing about the sequel here. Um, <laughs> but I do also just want to end up for everyone. One, one thing we haven't talked about is that you are a rock star kick-ass realtor for the agency in Los Angeles. And there has to be just, I think we all see it on television, you know, or something like that as, as this big glamorous job. I know selling real estate is a lot of hard work, but it must be fun to get to go see all those beautiful homes too at times. It's really spectacular. Listen, we have a, a Netflix show coming out in two weeks called Buying Beverly Hills. I saw that. And I'm in the background drinking champagne. I'm not a principal on it. And by the way, all of those people are as genuine and I haven't seen it yet, but they are the most genuine, wonderful, kind human beings ever. And I'm so excited for this show. But our real life really is. These properties are incredible. I mean, to be living in this kind of, it is a little bit of a crazy world to be, you know, you have your day job and then there's cameras everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm very grateful to be in the middle of it all and to call them all, you know, my beloved colleagues and friends. We're doing a breast cancer awareness event tonight. They're the most like philanthropic group ever. I was, you know, grateful to be able to include my storyline in part in the book, in part. If anybody out there is looking to buy or sell a home, I'm right here. That's what I was going to say. Just <laughs> give her a call. I'm going to have her contact information in the show notes. I do want to say a shout out to your um, to your colleagues because there's one point in the book right after your dad passed away and mm -hmm. it was just before Christmas and you hadn't been able to decorate the house and you're, I, you, you painted a visual picture of, of your, some of your female colleagues coming in with like 20 bags from Target and they decorated 
frustrated and the, the agency may, had food delivered from Gelson's, which is my favorite grocery store in the world. And all of the things that, that just, and made a, a fabulous, wonderful Christmas for you all at a very difficult time. And that, that was another part where my seatmate in, on the plane was handing me a tissue as I cried away. Yeah, that was Monique Navarro. She's actually the one who's leading this breast cancer event this evening with the heart of gold and you know, I think it was a great reminder for all of us, the importance of showing up for each other and for showing up with love and kindness and seeing each other. And she saw me in a moment where um, nobody else did. And so, yeah, shout out to her and to the whole agency crew for all of the things that they've done for me throughout this time. Well, it's been wonderful. And I just want to thank you for sharing your your journey with us all in the book, All Signs Point to Paris, and for letting us know, truly, you and your dad letting us know that anything is possible. I, I really, truly have enjoyed this so much. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining me today on the Divorce and Beyond podcast. I hope you found some information and inspiration to help you on this journey. Please join me every Monday at 6 a.m. Eastern Standard Time for a new episode. And if you like the show, please take the time to subscribe and leave me a five-star review on iTunes. You can also find more information on the website at divorceandbeyondpod.com where you'll find links to the YouTube channel, transcripts of the episodes, and other bonus content. So I'll see you next week to help you move through your divorce and beyond.